Hey, do you know how I get private access to the open internet? With a VPN, of course, but not just any VPN. I use Surfshark. With Surfshark, I eliminated problems like ad manipulation, price discrimination whenever I purchase online, identity theft, and tracking in general. I can also access streaming platforms like Netflix, Disney+, Prime Video, and many others from anywhere in the world. Last time I was in the US, some of my favorite series magically became available because I connected to UK with Surfshark. Surfshark encrypts all the internet traffic sent to and from all my devices, and it hides my IP address so nobody can see what I do online. And all that with one simple click. If you use coupon code data science, you get 83% off for a two years plan and three additional months for free. That makes 27 months for less than $60 or 50 euros. So get Surfshark at surfshark.deals slash data science and protect your privacy now. Check the show notes of this episode at datascienceatom.com and get your coupon code for free. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, your host for the next 20, 30 minutes. Let's see how it goes today. Topic of today is um, something that has been on the news very, very recently. And this is something that should be of extreme interest for all the developers out there, data scientists included. And uh, that's about OpenAI launching GitHub Copilot. So GitHub Copilot is what they have called the virtual pair programmer uh, rather than a language generating model, uh, but more detail on that later. Um, and so essentially what it does is, uh, well, helping you coding and uh, completing some with some code snippets that otherwise you should be writing yourself. And so it should be of extreme interest because this is the first attempt, though I would say it's the second attempt of, um, uh, you know, generating text that makes sense. The very first attempt comes from the experiments with GPT-2 and then GPT-3. And, uh, you know, we have been discussing these two models in previous episodes on this show. Feel free to um, surf the official webpage, uh, datascienceatome.com and check the episodes about GPT-2 and GPT-3. So these attempts were essentially in the field of NLP, natural language processing, of course, and they were attempts to generating text that actually made sense. Um, and so the exercise there was to, uh, you know, start writing something about, you know, a story or uh, whatever, it was kind of open domain. Um, and you would have expected these machine learning models to, you know, complete your initial text and uh, keep writing paragraphs for you uh, that were kind of consistent with your uh, initial input. Now, these two models have been considered very dangerous, apparently, by the community, but especially by the creators. And that's why they haven't been made available uh, you know, that easily, though some APIs have been made available so that, you know, people could uh, test them out and play a bit with them. And the reason, the main reason why these models have never been, you know, open that, you know, publicly as we expected is because, you know, some malicious actors might have been using such models to generate fake news. Now, 
Uh, that's actually true in the sense that yes, since the text that is usually generated by this model is, you know, resembles pretty nicely what a human being would, would be typing, uh, it would be in many cases kind of, you know, misleading. It's quite hard actually to understand in some specific cases if that text has been generated by a machine or by an actual human. Uh, in many other cases, uh, the text, of course, doesn't make any sense. There is no consistency. And also, especially in the field of, uh, you know, with the task of creating brand new stuff, um, you know, these models usually fail, as expected, regardless of what people say, and regardless of the hype that has been generated around these models. Uh, some of them even compare them to artificial general intelligence without any reason, of course, there is no reason to believe that these models are uh, artificial general intelligence. They are not. As we said uh, in uh, previous episodes here on this show, uh, these are just massive lookup tables that have been trained pretty much from massive repositories of text on the internet, from Wikipedia, Reddit, and many, many others. And um, the reason why I'm saying this is that uh, the rationale behind the model training, the, the training part, is to predict the next characters, words, phrases, given a, a, an initial seed by just looking at what, what is on the internet. So, uh, you know, it's a, I would say, a probabilistic method, though it's not strictly a probabilistic method, but essentially uh, these mothers have been trained by feeding text and trying to, you know, keeping a context as, you know, the history uh, that is the input data and then predicting what comes next by just looking at what is already out there, uh, you know, so that uh, we can generate similar text in similar situations. This is pretty much what these models are doing. And uh, of course, the fact that they have billions of parameters uh, pay attention to that. It's not millions, but it's just billions of parameters. So imagine this massive neural network with billions of parameters. It's something that definitely you need a serious infrastructure and the number of, a, a massive number of GPUs and CPUs to train these things for God knows how long. But there are all the specs that you can find in on many websites. I will report some of them in the show notes of this episode at datasunsatom.com. And so basically, you know, when you have billions of parameters, it's going to be quite easy to misunderstand this, you know, complexity with um, human power or human capabilities or even superhuman capabilities. Um, that's why I'm saying let's not get distracted by the fact that these models have billions of parameters. And usually we are dealing with, um, you know, a couple of hundreds or tens of thousands um, parameters, you know, and we consider these models already pretty sophisticated. So imagine when we move the bar towards, you know, three, four, five orders of magnitude, uh, things are going to be much more, much bigger and much more complex. And of course, the results of such models might be, um, you know, more and more accurate. That's the typical nature of the, uh, you know, of the deep learning uh, or neural network approach, the more parameters you put, the more data you have, the better the, the performance and the accuracy and also the diversity of the uh, data that you can generate. 
That's why there is a, a very important parameter, it's called temperature, that allows you to tune and control the diversity that you would like to apply during text generation. So this is not rocket science, as many can believe or want to believe. Uh, this is pretty much what a basic neural network within the NLP field has been doing for almost a decade now, uh, if not more. So let's go back to what GitHub Copilot is. So, well, the before getting actually to the details of how um, of what GitHub Copilot is, I would like to discuss a bit the um, you know the outcome of GPT-3. You know, except for the room for the noise that has been generated, you know, these things have been failing on many examples when you know smart people starting to you know probing this model and see if they could infer something, if they could let's say, reason about something, and they actually didn't, um, as expected. Now, they were just parroting uh, what was in the training set. And since the training set is huge, uh, it's impossible or very difficult to understand if that parroting is actually real, uh, you know, replication or if some kind of, uh, you know, complex uh, reasoning, um, which in my opinion is not. Within an open domain like uh, natural language, um, models of this caliber, even though they are extremely large, they still fail because language modeling is, is a beast, is a monster that is quite difficult to dominate. And we know that from you know, decades of research in the field. So what people did, what the researchers did actually, was narrowing down the domain in which these models would have been operating. And so instead of considering this model for an open language, like plain English or any other language out there, uh, they tried to narrow down the domain and say, okay, instead of generating you know, general text, let's start generating some code, right? And code is a subset of natural language because you know it's, it's a discipline that allows developers to, let's say, in, send instructions to a machine and in order to execute something in a more or less complicated fashion. And so they created another model. Um, in fact, the guys at OpenAI created such model that took you know, some kind of concepts from GPT-3 and uh, narrowed down the focus on code generation, like computer code generation. And that, such a model is called Codex. Right? So the codex algorithm has been trained literally on terabytes of public code that has been pulled by, you know, from, from GitHub and um, I think only GitHub for now. Well, that, that's exactly what, that's actually what they, what they claim. Um, and also by using a selection of the English language uh, from comments, from uh, function signature description, uh, probably README files, um, and so they have been training this model and associate to English computer code and in particular Python code, which is, you know, much more readable than many other languages out there. Not only that, but also there is a lot of uh, Python code out there because, you know, Python became the de facto standard in many sectors, especially uh, data science and machine learning. And so, you know, the availability of Python code is much, much higher, much, much bigger than other languages uh, like, for example, Rust, uh, reason for which Rust 
is not supported uh, by the codex code generator, uh, which is, in my opinion, a good thing. GitHub Copilot is uh, something, you know, for now it's just a, a Visual Studio Code extension. Visual Studio Code is an IDE. IDE is an integrated development environment. It's essentially what a lot of developers out there use to, you know, code on a daily basis, myself included. Visual Studio Code is a very nice tool. It's a very nice IDE, pretty complete, easy to use super updated, uh, not super fast as many others out there. I've come from the Emacs old school, <laughs> but still I find Visual Studio Code a pretty good tool. Um, but um, it has been, it's also very rich of um, extensions. It has a very nice integration with, with GitHub, of course, uh, being produced by, by Microsoft and being Microsoft also the owner of GitHub. Now, Back to um, GitHub Copilot, this is, you know, it's it's just a an extension that you can install in Visual Studio Code if you have uh, access to the technical preview. Technical previews are still limited, so there is this, uh, uh, you know, uh, you have to submit your request and wait uh, when they uh, wait, when they activate you, when they enable you. And uh, I have some, I've tried some capabilities of um, of GitHub Copilot, and uh, I was honestly uh, not that impressed. Uh, some people out there, I've been reading about how impressed they were. I frankly didn't find these amazing capabilities. But um, in this episode, of course, I don't want to you know provide my personal opinion. I just want to describe what I think about these tools from a technical perspective and also from an ethical perspective. Um, as I will clarify uh, in the course of the show. So, under the hood, this Visual Studio Code extension essentially is making calls, API calls, to uh, the GitHub Copilot backend services. And so, essentially, when you type code in Visual Studio Code, you know, and you have this, uh, and you have these extensions, uh, this extension enabled, um, Visual Studio Code start communicating to the internet and in particular to uh, GitHub Copilot services where the OpenAI Codex model is running. And so your uh, code is essentially inspected, uh, I think locally, then part of it, if an encoded version of it is sent to the backend services and the backend services can return to you with some suggestions about how to complete that code snippet. And the code snippet can actually be the name of a function, for example, in Python, you would have def uh, train model, uh, and then you can complete eventually with arguments, um, I don't know, like uh, train input or model, uh, comma, train input. Uh, and then you can continue providing even a description, you know, a documentation for that function. So you have the triple quote and uh, start writing, okay, this function uh, is training a random forest model with input training of shape or whatever, and uh, number of epochs or, well, in random forest, there's no epochs. Uh, I don't know. If it's a neural network, you can define the number of epochs, etc., etc. And magically, uh, the code completes with, you know, a snippet that actually, you know, is the snippet of a code that indeed trains a model for uh, n number of epochs, right? So, you know, that would, you know, that will save a lot of time, though, you know, these things are already 
available on Stack Overflow, for example, or even just Googling this stuff. So the basic thing, in my opinion, is something that you can search online. And if it's available, you just copy and paste. If you know some code, you might be editing the code snippet that you found, like on Stack Overflow. That happens all the time. I mean, let's stop lying out there. Developers nowadays uh, develop together with Stack Overflow, right? <laughs> In my opinion, the easy cases, which are also the most boring ones, are already available. And in fact, you don't need to have a tool like this if, you know, uh, if you don't need to have a tool like this because you would just you you just google that stuff and you would be 90 percent of the time uh, quite happy of the results so um this code completion thing however uh, has consequences in the sense that uh, well first of all it's very misleading uh, due to the fact that there is a lot of marketing around this tool uh, so far in which they say this is a pair programmer so this is not a, a code generator algorithm. This is your co-pilot, right? So this is like your pair programmer. Pair programming is something that I've been taking very seriously in my career, and it helped me a lot. For those who are not familiar with the concept of pair programming, it's like when you sit next to your colleague or whoever you are you know, cooperating with, you sit next to him or her, and you guys or girls code together, right? And you have snacks and you have coffees and you have um, you know a whiteboard and you or a blackboard if you are old school and you start discussing ideas and then you go back to the keyboard and one guy or girl types and the other is just next you know not dictating but you know thinking together that's what pair programming is and that's a very effective way of coding especially in uh, small teams when you need to get shit done now, calling something like GitHub Copilot a pair programmer, in my opinion, is extremely misleading and just wrong. It's not. It's a copy and paste code that, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a search tool, in fact, a bit more sophisticated because, sophisticated than Google probably, because it uses a bit of semantics, it uses a bit of, you know, fuzzy search, um, and of course, because it, it's specialized for, for for computer programming, for computer code. But saying that it's a pair programmer is very misleading. Not only that, the code that is generated for you uh, not always works. Um, and, and so you always have to monitor that code. You always have to read that code again. Sometimes it doesn't make sense at all with the rest of the, uh, you know, of your, of your code base. And so due to the fact that that particular code generation doesn't have for now access to the entire code base where, where, where you're working, um, it makes it kind of, you know, an outlier, kind of a piece of a puzzle that doesn't make sense sometimes. Some other times for the most obvious things, of course, it generates the code that actually makes sense. And uh, and yes, you can save some, some time. Um, I was used to, you know, in a completely different setting uh, when I was using Emacs, but there are many other uh, similar extensions, even for VS, uh, Visual Studio Code, VSC, um, macros. So when I, when I was kind of lazy to, I was writing like a lot of 
classes in Python and I needed I had some kind of you know structure that I know the template of a class I just want to change the name and then I have some init functions some constructors or whatever or getters and setters that you don't want to write over and over again so what I was used to do back in the days was creating macros and just call these macros whenever I need a new class now definitely github copilot is way more sophisticated than that um, because of the the way it has been trained and also the association with uh, with english language english language associated to with uh, computer programming or computer code uh, is very powerful because it allows you know it gives you handles to search computer code by speaking english or by typing english uh, which is very powerful uh, so the way I would use this is more like a uh, not not even a replacement to Stack Overflow because I like to read the comments myself. Um, I don't know. I would not use this stuff to be honest. But I'm trying to you know climbing mirrors here if people should be using this stuff. Technically, in my opinion, is not something to be amazed of. From an ethical perspective, however, this is just a slap in the face from Microsoft and from GitHub in particular. So GitHub so far in all these years have been collecting our code, have been essentially the custodian of our code, open source code, private repositories as well. Uh, in the last two years, I think, they even you know, made uh, private repositories available um, and probably that was you know, a strategic move. I don't know, I don't want to be malicious, but they have access to private code as well, right? Because they own the services and as all of these free services, we are the product. We know that. So Facebook is, you know, GitHub Copilot is the equivalent of Facebook for developers. <laughs> in the sense that, I mean, in fact, I should not be laughing about this. It's, it's just that, you know, I want to be very critical now because this is very dangerous. And where's the danger? Well, the danger is that to start with, when I created repositories on, on GitHub, even if the code is open source, um, I never allowed allowed it GitHub to use that code for other purposes than um, you know whatever was written in the license. And if the license is a uh, GPL license or an MIT license, of course you can use that code. You can do whatever. You cannot do something commercial. Commercial. I mean that depends pretty much on what type of license you have, but. According to the GDPR um, statements and law, even in that case, in my opinion, you should not be using things for things that are not under agreement from copyright infringement. So even if the code is open source, doesn't mean that you can copy and paste it anywhere and give it to everyone or use it for other commercial purposes. Um, that's not what in the license of pretty much all my repositories uh, was about was not was not written some anything like that and I believe that in all the other 99.99999 percent of the repositories out there nobody ever uh, allowed it github to use their code for uh, you know building commercial pro products um, around you know around that code even though the code was open source so that's the first thing the second thing is that um, there is no way to verify that the code that has been used to train codecs uh, and GitHub Copilot is in fact coming from public repositories only. 
I want to believe that, of course. Uh, I want to trust, but trust is the only thing that we can do. We can only trust Microsoft and GitHub when they say, don't worry, guys, we never used private repositories for training this model. I mean, how can you check that? We, we cannot verify that. And uh, if that's the case, um, some private code might be leaked uh, from the Visual Studio Code extension <laughs> from GitHub Copilot. So we'll see. Um, not only that, there is already a, a, a hack. Uh, in fact, I would consider it a hack that you can use for um, you know, leaking uh, some code without too much control from GitHub Copilot. If you provide a very tiny context, the code that is generated usually uh, is kind of you know, repeated exactly as it was from the training data. Uh, so I would consider that a leak because the code is not, you know, changed. It's just replicated. It's a mirror. Because as I said, these models are, you know, behave just like massive lookup tables. And so if you provide a very tiny context to the, to the model, the model doesn't have so much, you know, there's a lot of degrees of freedom and doesn't have a, a, a very interesting context to narrow down the search and give you back the code that makes most sense for that particular context because the context is very small. And so what the model would do, it could replicate uh, essentially what was in the training data. Um, and that's very dangerous because if in the training data, for example, there was a, I don't know, someone forgot a, a key, an AWS secret key or a password or whatever, you know, that code can be leaked, even though there are, of course, you know, at GitHub, there are some mechanisms to uh, alert and monitor if some, you know, sensitive data have been added, maybe mistakenly to the to the repository. Sometimes even I do this mistake, like I forget an AWS key in the repo and I get an email from GitHub that says, hey, maybe you forgot this, uh, just, you know, uh, reset your, your Git repo or just remove the key uh, or remove the repo entirely. I have to be honest here, GitHub already alerts you whenever possible. But you know, these are algorithms and they are fuzzy, so they can go wrong sometimes. And if something goes wrong there, it could be that someone else can, you know, exploit this, um, you know, mechanism and just force the model to replicate code as it was in the training data. That's very dangerous. Now there is the practical aspect and also, you know, the future, you know, ramblings for the future, I would say. Should code developers or computer programmers be worried about this stuff? So as I said, uh, when GPT-3 came out, I, I would not, honestly, um, due to the fact that coding is a very creative activity to start with. And um, creativity is not something that can be easily replicated by machines. Um, I'm speaking about art uh, in particular. I consider code uh, as art, in fact. Uh, there is a very strong basis of you know engineering and technical skills, of course. Uh, and that comes usually from the syntax uh, and from you know grammar of a language, computer language, of course. But the rest, like building data structures, choosing the right data structure, or you know, providing a solution for a particular 
um, computational complexity constraints or requirement is something that is more art than um, you know than just a technical uh, skill um, and so that's why I don't consider GPT-3 or Codex or whatever will come next as a threat to uh, software developers um, even more even less for data scientists uh, and machine learning engineers due to the fact that okay there are some tasks that are you know very mechanical tasks like especially in engineering um, pipelines and uh, you know protocols following protocols writing an API these are things that have been very well defined we know how they work we know how to do we know how this should be done there's not so much creativity around that because you know around security especially there is like there are standards there are protocols to follow and that's it but in all other cases for example data manipulation data cleaning data pre-processing we know that it's a very creative part of the job. Not only that, even before data cleaning, that can be in a way replicated with a certain protocol, before that, even choosing the data, even choosing the machine learning model, you know, before writing the code, there is a lot of human intervention and there's a lot of, you know, there is a very nice creative process. That's what that's exactly what makes the job of the data scientist one of the best job in the world uh, is because it's a creative job especially at the beginning when you discuss together with the business people uh, what are the requirements what are the constraints then you discuss with the engineers and you try to meet in the in the middle uh, with with them and so you know that that's being that's what being a data scientist is that's what being a software developer is and so i don't believe that um, AI will ever, well, ever is a big, big statement, but for the next maybe 20 years, um, I don't see AI threatening the jobs of software developers and, uh, uh, and engineers. Definitely one uh, thing that I, you know, expect from the community is some sort of, you know, response to this, um, essentially it's a copyright infringement act at least that's my personal opinion. I consider uh, GitHub Copilot a dangerous tool that simply infringes copyrights from uh, of people of of developers. As simple as that. Uh, that's the only threat that I see. Um, now I would. I'm very curious to see if how the community reacts to this, um, due to the fact that, uh, and it's gonna be interesting, due to the fact that you know the community. Uh, this time is not the Facebook community or the WhatsApp community that you know, we have seen not caring that much about privacy and data confidentiality, except for the first, you know, when WhatsApp came with the new uh, privacy terms, <laughs> privacy policies and terms, uh, there was some sort of reaction the first couple of weeks, people migrating to Signals and Telegram, and then they went back, many of them went back to WhatsApp because all their friends stayed there. I don't expect the same to happen for GitHub, uh, due to the fact that the nature and you know the nature of the community is, is pretty different. Uh, I'm not making any statement here. I don't think that you know these are people are more, are smarter than the first ones. It's not. It's just that it, it's different people. It's it's nerds. It's geeks. It's people who are very familiar with technology and uh, and with the fact that copyright has been infringed and will be infringed by the nature of these models. Um, 
and usually these folks pay much more attention to uh, to these concepts and this uh, and these kind of issues. Of course, I would like to know what you think, uh, so uh, feel free to join us on our official Discord channel. You will find the link in the uh, on the official website datascienceathome.com. Uh, it would be very nice to have you there and maybe have a chat about this very topic. I'm done for today and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Ciao. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.